0: Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rock and good time in about 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Tregg, and Dave. We're three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all times and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who inspire us. Rocktail Hour is an affiliate of Amazon.com, the online megastore that offers Earth's biggest selection you're going to buy stuff on Amazon anyway, it would be cool if you would first click on the Amazon.com link on the Rocktail Hour homepage or our affiliates page. And Amazon will kick a few bucks back to Rocktail Hour to help fund the free podcast. In today's podcast, Dave is going to bring us the story behind Fire and Rain by James Taylor. Thanks, Tim. Let's do
1: a quick intro to the song and just give you a little bit of a background on it. James Taylor wrote this in 1968 when he was 20 years old. Wow, Wow. Young. Yeah. And it's amazing by the way how much great music was written by essentially kids in their twenties. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that old too. It came out in nineteen seventy on his second album, but it was written in nineteen sixty-eight. And uh Taylor stole the chord progression underlying the song from his brother Alex, who was apparently a songwriter <laughs> as well. So like Da Vinci said, the greatest artists don't borrow, they steal. <laughs> so I want to dive today deep into the lyrics and the meaning behind the song, which I think are really interesting. But uh, let's talk about the the impact that the song had just kind of in and of itself on the music scene at the time. So Fire and Rain became the prototype for the singer-songwriter genre that got big in the 70s. So you think about a lot of the singer-songwriters, guys like Billy Joel, even Carly Simon, Elton John. Carly Simon was a guy? Yeah, you didn't know that? All right. (laughs) No, (laughs) sorry. You think about the artists like... Elton John, uh Billy Joel, Carly Simon. They and were Carol King. Carol King, which we'll yeah. talk about in a second. Actually, we'll just talk about her now. She's playing the piano on this. If you oh, listen wow. to oh. it, uh she's playing the piano on song. I knew the they song. collaborated. I didn't know she was on this song. Yeah. She collaborated with a ton of people, by the way. Carol King had a prolific songwriting career and a collaborative career with uh Paul Simon and um I can't remember now. I did a little bit of research on her, but she collaborated with a ton of great artists on top of writing songs. So Uh, certainly a talent, but it was after Fire and Rain achieved its huge commercial success that a lot of these other then songwriters started to say, hey, let me get out there and start singing my own songs. Billy Joel being one of them, like we said. So James Taylor was one of the first guys that launched that singer-songwriter movement, so to speak, in the 70s. So... Uh, the song itself was number 227 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time, and I'm not kidding about that, Tim.
0: That seems low to me for this song, but you know, there's a lot of good songs, and I'm sure that every most of the songs preceding 227, I would I would probably think are really great songs. But you know, Fire and Rain seems to me like it ought to be a lot higher on that list. But I say that about every song that we say is on yeah. that list, so. I got
1: to hand it to the Rolling Stone people for even putting together that list. Yeah, definitely. That's a a tough list to put together because there's a lot more than 500 great songs. Yeah. And so whittling them down is, is is a tough thing. So let's go into a deep dive of the lyrics that he wrote. There's a common misinterpretation of this song by his fans, right? And so here's what the misinterpretation is. This is a little bit analogous to... In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins from a previous Rock Tale Hour. Mm -hmm. There's a really great story that accompanies this song that's completely false. And so here is the story. One, Taylor opens the song by saying, Just yesterday morning they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. And in the bogus interpretation of this song... The folklore. The folklore is a better way to put it. In the folklore version of the song, Suzanne was Taylor's girlfriend. Taylor had this burgeoning songwriting career. He was out touring, achieving all kinds of commercial success. And so he hadn't been able to be with the girl that he loved, Suzanne. And so they would spend hours of time on the telephone line talking about things to come. Uh And what some of his friends did to surprise James Taylor was secretly fly her out to surprise him at one of his concert shows. <laughs> and Wait a minute, is that part true? No, 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 no. Oh, this, this, this is still this part of the folklore. Is the folklore, okay. I'm telling
0: with, you. With Richie Valens and Buddy Holly? She was on that,
1: yeah. She was <laughs> yeah. part of the day that music died. But anyways, uh, so the folklore goes like that, that she, you know, James Taylor's friends were flying her out to see him while he was touring, and on her way out, the plane crashed and Suzanne died sweet dreams and flying machines and pieces on the ground oh wow and it's this really sad tale of you know unrequited and lost love all completely false (laughs) and it's a great story but the real story is even better the real story is pretty compelling in and of itself so for those of you who believed the false story
0: and still do let's dispel it and get into the the deeper and real meaning of the lyrics. I think I know the real story, but I'm interested to see if it really is the story. So go ahead. Very good. So do I have you on pins and needles? Uh, Or something. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) So let me lead off with a quote from Taylor, and this is from, I believe, a 1972 interview in Rolling Stone magazine. And this is what Taylor explained about the meaning of the lyrics, somewhat, in my opinion, a little cryptically, if you listen to his quote. But here's what he says. Quote, fire and rain has three verses. The first verse is about my reactions to the death of a friend. The second verse is about my arrival in this country with a monkey on my back. And there, Jesus is an expression of my desperation in trying to get through the time when my body was aching and the time was at hand when I had to do it. And the third verse of that song refers to my recuperation in Austin Riggs, which lasted about five months. So let's just go through each one of those three verses, and then we'll talk a little bit about the chorus in terms of what this means. So, similar to the false interpretation, it is not a biographical account of Taylor's heartache and pain, but Suzanne was not his girlfriend, and she did not die in an airplane crash. So her name was Suzanne Schnur, and she was a friend that he met when he was a teenager playing gigs in New York in 1966 and 1967. And here's a a quote from uh, Taylor about Suzanne. He said this, quote, I knew Suzanne well in New York, and we used to hang out together, and we used to get high together. I think she came from Long Island. She was a kid like all of us. So she was more of just a part of his circle of friends and young and doing the things that young people do. A couple of years later, Taylor was in London recording his debut album for the uh, Apple Records label. You guys know who? The Beatles. The Beatles? That's right. is the Beatles record label, hence in London. And while he was in London, some of his friends informed him that their friend, Suzanne, had committed suicide several months ago. And they were kind of waiting to tell Taylor because they didn't want to derail the recording of his album and his career. And so they waited. And that's why he said, they let me know you were gone. Something that he had probably wished he would have known earlier. And so the, the lyric that says, Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. Well, who exactly is They. In this lyric, um, again, this is a quote from that uh, Rolling Stone interview with Taylor, and he said this quote: "I always felt rather bad about that line. The plans they made put an end to you, because quote they only meant ye gods or basically the fates. I never knew her folks, but I always wondered whether her folks would hear that and wonder whether it was about them. Yeah. Hmm. So there was a certain sense of guilt that he that he uh, that he felt." thinking that the parents would misinterpret the lyrics as calling it out to them that, hey, something you did caused your, sister, your daughter's suicide. Wow, interesting. But uh, the plans that they made is just flate, fate playing dirty tricks on one of his friends, as he refers to it. So the second verse uh, is, refers to his return to the U.S. from London at the end of 1968, and that's when he was battling a full-blown heroin addiction. So it was interesting to me and I I learned this years and years ago, but I always grew up thinking James Taylor, he has these really beautiful guitar lines, these memorable melodies and these great lyrics, but it's all kind of mellow folk music. Not something I would associate with a heroin addict, so to speak. Definitely. James had I never knew that. I've been a fan of his my whole life and I've never done that. Oh really? Yeah. So, here is a little bit about him. He was, um, you know, he suffered from clinical depression as a teenager in high school, and I think ended up kind of self medicating. And by the time he was in his late teens to, again, his early 20s, he was a full blown heroin addict, amongst other things. So, when he got back to Manhattan after recording his first album in London, he checked himself into a, psychiat- a psychiatric facility in Massachusetts called Austin Riggs. And it was at this time that he wrote this second verse, which offers pleas to Jesus to, quote, look down upon him and make him and help him make a stand against the ravages of heroin addiction. So it's him calling out to Jesus to help him. Cool. Right. And so the third or sorry, the third verse uh, for me and in my opinion is beautifully poetic. So here's how the the third verse reads. Been walking my mind to an easy time. My back turned toward the sun. Lord knows when the cold wind blows, it'll turn your head around. There's hours of time on the telephone line to talk about things to come, sweet dreams and flying machines in pieces on the ground. So if you if you listen to this third verse, it really validates that bogus folkloric story about flying and and all that stuff and how his her how plane went down and the like. Um, but here's what happened: Taylor had spent many months of his senior year in high school. Uh, in a hospital being treated for depression, as we mentioned. After leaving that clinic or that hospital where he was at, he ended up hooking up with a childhood friend of his named Danny Karchmar. And they were in New York together, and they formed a band called The Flying Machine. Right? And The Flying Machine ended up being a professional and musical failure for Taylor. Uh, It culminated in Taylor and his friend Danny and maybe some other band members taking a trip to the Bahamas where they were paid to be the house music. And the story is that after weeks and weeks of not getting paid what they were promised and eating horrible food, they decided to spend their last dollars on a plane ticket home just to get out of there. And they came back and disbanded, hence that phrase, sweet dreams and flying machines in pieces on the ground. All right. So it, it is a, a reference to young ambition and dreams and then the shattering of those dreams and that's you know that uh, that's what that third verse refers to okay so lastly let's talk about the the chorus and the chorus reads that like this i've seen fire and i've seen rain i've seen sunny days that i thought would never end i've seen lonely times when i could not find a friend but i always thought that i'd see you again And so the way I choose to personally interpret that chorus is a little more positive and hopeful in light of a backdrop of opposition and and discouragement. And I'll tell you what I think that means. So he says, I've seen fire. And if you think about maybe the collective unconscious of the collective unconscious interpretation of fire, it's all consuming, it's heat, it's destructive. And then I've seen rain, which water is the purifying element and it you know quenches that fire i've seen sunny days that i thought would never end so it's like this bright hopeful positive feel coupled with i've seen lonely times when i could not find a friend and so you do have this light and dark imagery in that in that chorus and then he ends the chorus with a statement of uncertainty that for me it kind of leaves you hanging but i always thought that i'd see you again Um, So, again, I think there's a lot of room for interpretation there. One of the things I wanted to make a comment about and tell me if you guys agree or disagree, I think for a lot of songwriters, having their fan base take various interpretations of their lyrics could be a big compliment to them. At least if I were a songwriter, that's how I would feel. Because what that tells you is that they've written something that can appeal, one, to a broad set of audience or a broad set of tastes and viewpoints, And people can therefore take it and interpret it as it applies to them in their life. It could Mm -hmm. be something completely foreign to what the songwriter originally intended.
0: Well, an excellent example of that is uh, Born in the USA. That was never intended to be what it's become. And Bruce Springsteen has absolutely no control over how that song has turned into sort of a patriotic anthem of good feeling and, and nationalism, where the song was always intended to be sort of a negative... Uh, viewpoint of the way people were treated when they came home from Vietnam. you go to any Fourth of July celebration and you'll you're gonna hear that song and you know, regardless of what his intent was in in writing it, the fan base has taken it and turned it into something else, and it's beyond his control and I don't know if he's flattered by that or not, but you know as an artist, all you can do is put your stuff out there and and how it's accepted and whether it's accepted is completely outside of your control. Who who do you think he meant when he said I I always thought I'd
1: see you again? You think it means the woman or something more generic? Well, again, I think if you were to ask James Taylor, he could give you a few different answers. And one one of the things I found out when I researched this song is that he has given different quotes about the meaning of this song that can kind of tend to contradict themselves. And so maybe James Taylor doesn't even truly know. He could have been referring to Suzanne, and certainly that's appropriate. But to me, at least the way I interpret it is, hey, I'm living this life that's got you know sunshine and light, and it's got darkness and pain, and I'm trying to live in between those, and that's left me with a certain degree of uncertainty with the way I view the world. That's just my interpretation. Yeah.
0: Um, well, I will I say that the, the one benefit of being a singer-songwriter is being able to— um, Really put to music the things that that you feel deeply inside, and so you have songs like this that are not only you know excellent, beautiful um, musically beautiful songs, but you know the words themselves are very very poetic and 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 they're very deep and and they're moving in and of themselves, and and you can have really good songs and not great lyrics. Um, I'm not gonna. I hope not to offend any. Um, Led Zeppelin fans, but, you know, you listen to Godin to California, and the music could not be more beautiful. I mean, that is just beautiful music. And you start listening to some of those words, and they are not good. (laughs) They are not poetic at all. You know, when you talk about, you know, the God's got a punch on the nose and starting to flow flow freely, you know, I mean, those are some dumb lyrics, but that is a beautiful song. That's right. And, but when you couple... Beautiful music like that with with really powerful lyrics. That's some that's some good music.
1: Yeah, and one last uh, silly interpretation. Just while we're talking about the ability to interpret it in a bunch of different ways, one guy who obviously probably has some psychiatric training said this online. He says. Guys, there's no deeper meaning than this. Fire is a reference to electroshock therapy. He received it when he was in the psych ward. And rain is a clear reference to hydrotherapy or crypt or what is it called? cryotherapy, which is basically immer- immersing addicts into ice baths. Wow. <laughs> so, you can take these lyrics in a lot of different ways, but I
0: think the most important interpretation is your own. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, Dave. That's an excellent uh, Rocktail Hour about an excellent song. I'm glad we covered that one. That's that's one we've, we should have covered a long time ago, so thanks for picking that. You can listen to a clip from the song on iTunes by clicking on the album link on the Rocktail Hour website. Please email us at dudes at rocktailhour.com if you think we got it all wrong. If you have an interesting Rocktail Hour of your own, or if you have a recommendation of a song that would be a good subject for Rocktail Hour. And if you think we're just lame, please keep that to yourself. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter and rate us on iTunes. And until the next Rocktail Hour, rock on